Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 25th. Tons of action on the clay going on throughout the tennis universe, I suppose. We've got all of the action on the ATP side in Barcelona for the 500, in Budapest for the 250. You look at the challenger side, we've got four challengers going on this week. Um, In particular, there's an event in Tallahassee, which we've talked about, obviously, with its huge 2019 USTA, uh, Roland Garros wildcard implications. And so, to join me to talk about all of that action, we may even sneak in a little bit of college time talk as well. It's been far too long since we did a podcast together. He is a Cracked Rackets contributor, former four-star recruit. Matt uh, Max Rothman calls him Matt the Cracks the Koyak. I just call him Matt Cracks the Koyak. Welcome to the Mini Break Podcast. Bruskin, what's going on, man? It has been way too long since we've done one of these things, man. Me and Jamie are becoming the new tag team every Wednesday, but it's great to hear your voice, man. I- I'm excited Have- for this one. Every time I turn on the Wednesday episode, I get a little bit upset by when he says, my regular co-host, Matt's the co I'm like, oh, I kn- what happened? I know, <laughs> man. I know. I know. Think back to those U.S. Open days when it was just me and you recapping everything. That's right. Hey, man, you know, you know I'm always around if you need me. Yeah, well, we'll have to start doing this more often, and this is why I wanted to bring you on today, because there are so many different places we could start. In fact, I'm not even going to plug anything at the start of this pod. We'll do that at the end, but... Um, you know, we talked about it on the Great Shot podcast earlier this week or last week with all of the college tennis stuff going on. I had Chris Hallioris earlier on in the week on the Mini Break podcast. There are your two little plugs at the beginning. Um, and I just feel like – I guess I'll leave it up to you. You want to talk real quick college tennis top ten rankings or not? Nah? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, man. Okay. Let's start with the Florida loss. I haven't talked to you since that happened. Your feelings on how that affects, you know, what your expectations are for them at NCAAs. Yeah. I mean, I was highly disappointed, obviously. I thought, you know, having the SEC tournament in Gainesville, they're on their home courts. I thought that was going to be their tournament to take. And, you know, to go down to a Tennessee team that I think is is a is a very good team, but not not an elite team by any means. At least in my opinion, I, I don't think they're you know really a top ten team. Uh, disappointing, man. But as far as my outlook on them for NCAA's, I think they still have a great shot. I mean, I picked them as you know before the season started. At this point, I mean, I'm still gonna ride with them. Uh, you know, the talent on that team is just ridiculous. I just think. You know, I I don't know what happened in that Tennessee match, but, you know, when the match gets close, if it's 3-2, it comes down to a couple of courts, they're going to have to find a way to get those done, man. And, you know, it all starts with the doubles point, but we'll see. I was definitely disappointed in them, though. I thought they were going to win the SEC tournament. We've talked all season about how important it is for these teams to be a top eight seed, secure themselves a hosting for that super regional quarterfinal round. The reason I wanted to talk a little college, the new rankings came out today. Ohio State's still sitting at number one. That's an obvious choice. Wake at number two. They lost a couple times in the regular season, but with their finals at the indoors, their conference title, their regular season ACC title, it makes sense they're there. Texas at three and Florida at four, despite both of those teams losing their conference tournament. It it surprised me. I just, again, this is why we'll we'll do this briefly because we want to talk pros today, but just... 
going into NCAs, it's wide open. I know, uh, you know, J.J. Wolf, Ohio State, when they're all playing, they haven't lost. J.J. Wolf finished an undefeated regular season. I think he went 27-0. That's f***ing ridiculous. I mean, that's a testament to how well he's be- been playing. And if you've seen him at all this year in person, you know those results aren't flukes. He's really been just on another level, especially at the number one singles position. You know, all due respect to Petros, who's a monster, but he's been the best player in college tennis this season. And so, you know, beyond that... There's just so many unknowns. Everything else, you know, you could throw me 30 different scenarios for how the finals are going to play out. You could say, you know, an experienced Mississippi State team goes up against an experienced and hot Baylor team coming off of their conference tournament. They match up in the finals. And I'd be like, yeah, I can believe that. Uh, I just it's, it's lining up to be a crazy end of the season. Yeah, it is. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, we've talked about this really all season, haven't we? Back when we did, you know, one of those early pods back in January talking about the outlook for the for the college season, we just didn't really know what was going to happen because there were so many teams that we thought were going to be in it at the end. And, you know, look where we are now. I mean, you look at the eight, nine, ten teams that are ranked in the country and, you know, would we be shocked to see them playing for a title? Not really. I mean, I think North Carolina has a ton of talent. If Will Blumberg's healthy and, you know, their whole lineup is ready to go, I think they could be, you know, pretty much any team out there. So we'll see how it goes, man. I'm definitely looking forward to to NCAAs. It's going to be great. And by the way, your recaps, which all of our listeners can find on CrackedRackets.com of the ACC tournament, were some of my favorite reads of the weekend, so thank you for doing that. Last question to you on that top eight seed team. We'll do it real quick. I'm going to list you a team, and you know, there are rankings points. There are people smarter than us, Chris Halioris, everyone at Slam Tennis, who, if you want the math behind these rankings, go check out those websites, but I'm talking subjectively. You tell me if you think this team is a top eight seed lock or not, okay? Okay. All right, Ohio State. Yes. Wake Forest. Yes. Texas. Yes. Probably. Yeah, I agree with you there. Florida. Yes. Mississippi State. Yes. Only loss. They played terribly at the national indoors. They lost once in SEC conference play, and that's it. They they deserve to be a top eight seed. There's no way in my mind that they shouldn't be. Recent form, unless we're totally overrating everyone in the SEC because that whole conference is ranked, you know, quite well. Uh, I just think, yes, their body of work, it holds, you know, they beat uh, A&M, they've beaten Tennessee, they've beaten so many, they beat a, a hot South Carolina team after dropping a doubles point, a doubles uh, South Carolina team that was 13-0 in dual matches after winning the doubles point. I think they're a lock as well. Chris on our mini break thought otherwise, but I say lock. Yep. N- now we get interesting. Virginia. Yeah, I think Virginia's a lock to be top eight. I do. Yeah, I'll take it. They they played well at the indoors, right? They lost quarterfinals, I think, Ohio State, but they got to win their first round over U.S. Or I think they beat either USC in the front draw or the back draw. I mean— Yeah, got to the yeah. finals of the ACC tournament, lost, you know, a tough match to Wake. I, I really like that Virginia team, man. Yeah, and they got that regular season win over Wake, which you have to count on their resume when you're doing the points. All right, Baylor, post-Big 12 championship. Yes, they're a top eight. This- yes. The sloppy loss, though, to Texas Tech was concerning. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have Roy Smith anymore, but, yeah, I don't know how you can de- – they're so good in doubles. They're so good. I mean, it, to me, that's that's a top eight lock, and, and that's pretty much where it ends. Any team that you'll mention from this point forward, I will probably say is not a lock. So how about this? I'm not going to say a team. Winner of the Pac-12 tournament. I think it's got to be USC. 
No, but but so I and that's a good pick. And but I meant whoever wins that tournament, they're the eighth seed, well, right? You I, don't get a third. Yeah, you don't get a third ACC team in North Carolina. You don't get a third Big Twelve team in TCU. I think it's got to be either UCLA or USC, unless Stanford runs the table or someone comes from nowhere. Yeah, then it's another. I just don't know. Even so, if UCLA wins it, you think they're a lock at top eight? They beat USC twice. <sighs> I mean, they had a bad indoors yeah, when they I, once they lost Keegan Smith, right. but they lost Keegan Smith at that time, and they're down hands for the year. They've really Nanda's sort of solidified that middle of the lineup. They're good in doubles. You know, finding a fourth point is difficult, but I just think you got to give that Pac-12 winner. You have to respect the West Coast. Give I, them that eighth seed. I think it'll be interesting if UCLA or Stanford wins it. I'll be interested to see what they do. If USC wins it, it's a moot point. They're a lock. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's, it's going to be fun, man. I'm, I'm excited. Absolutely. But all right, enough college tennis. I said it was going to be quick. We're about nine minutes in, but that's just (laughs) how we roll when we get together. Um, let's transition to the ATP side. So where I want to start, obviously the 500 level event going on in Barcelona has taken up a lot of our attention. There's been a ton of great results there. Not a lot of Americans in play, but still top guys from Rafa Nadal. We saw Alex Virev lose earlier in the week. You know, you've got Dominic Thiem, Daniil Medvedev, everyone you could want. So this is the event taking our attention. And there were some great results today. I don't usually start with the heavyweight champs. You know that's the Koek. You know, unless it's Andy Murray, I don't (laughs) want to talk about it unless absolutely necessary. But I think the place we have to start because it is the clay court season, because the shadow of Rafa Nadal looms over Roland Garros like nothing else. To see the way he struggled for a second week in a row in his first match against Leonardo Mayer, winning that match 6-7, 6-4, 6-2, it's a first match. All of this stuff happens, but here's why I'm concerned. In in the post-match conference, and we can get into the tennis of the match in a second, but in the post-match presser, a quote from Rafa, and it was translated into English, so this may not have been exactly what he said, but I'm fairly certain it's right. Um, the problem is that in the last 18 months, each time I've climbed one step, injuries had made me go down several steps. And I just think that's what we're seeing from him now. You don't see him fly around the court as recklessly the way, obviously, he could as a 24-year-old, 23-year-old, and no duh. I mean, he's older than that now, but it's just he's not able to summon that incredible defensive performance, that endless grit, that I'm not quitting on anything that we're so accustomed to seeing Rafa Nadal turn on at this time of year. And I just am always going to, you know, he had enough in the tank today to beat Leonardo Mayer, who had a one-handed backhand and is a primed candidate to lose to Rafa on clay. Uh, But you just, you have to wonder moving forward, is his level going to be good enough for two weeks straight to win another Roland Garros title? Well, I'll tell you what, Gruskin, I wouldn't bet against him. But speaking <laughs> speaking of the present, though, when I've the past couple weeks in Monte Carlo and now again here in Barcelona, to me, he just has not looked comfortable on the court. And it's crazy to say that because he's playing on clay. We're talking about the greatest clay court player of all time here. And the the quote that you brought up, I think is is fair because. It just seems like he's got to be a little bit injured, right? The way that you said he was moving around the court, it's not obvious. Like, you know, his left leg isn't chopped off. We don't know exactly what the injury is, but something just doesn't look, look right. To me, he just looks a bit off out there, and I think you make a good point. I mean, that probably 
has to lead us to believe that there's some kind of an injury that's nagging him a little bit. And it's sad, but look, man, these guys are getting older. What Fed's done is incredible. Rafa's still going. He was able to get through this match. Let's let's pump the brakes for just a little bit and see how the rest of this tournament goes. And then we can talk about Roland Garros. Obviously, Monte Carlo is very disappointing. He He's won that tournament so many times, but... I don't know, man. It just isn't the Rafa that we're used to on clay. And we've got a ton of the clay court season to see more evidence. But in terms, it's not even an injury anymore. His tendonitis has tendonitis. That's how long he's been wearing his knees out on this surface and just with his style of play in general. And, you know, you look at the stats from this match. He served 65% on his first serves, won 69% of those first serve points, 69% of his second serve points. When he can dictate especially on clay, especially against a guy with a one-handed backhand. Good luck, you know, beating that. He's still Rafa Nadal. He's still going to fire forehands into the backhand corner, work you around the court, wait to open up enough space, and then rip it down the line. The way he goes after his backhand now with such vitriol, it's so fun to see. Um, But, yeah, it's just... I mean, look, to the to the counterpoint, uh, fun fact from at Bastion Fashan, and I apologize if I mis- mispronounced that on Twitter that I saw, Nadal's streak of 506 clay court matches without losing two in a row, a streak that dates back to March 2002, is still alive after he survives in this match. Um, that's freaking crazy. Like, that streak is ridiculous. If you're betting against him, you're right. You're a fool. <laughs> right. But there's so much clay court season between now and the start of the French Open. Like, you have to be nervous how much you play if you're Rafa. Maybe. I, that's a fair point. But he could also, yeah, I don't know. If it truly is, like, injuries that are bothering him, then, yeah, the more he plays on it, I mean, the worse it's probably going to get. I'm trying to take the mindset of he's just not quite comfortable enough yet, and maybe if he can get get through Barcelona and then play Madrid, maybe he can just find his form a little bit better because, I mean, like you mentioned, 506 straight matches without losing two in a row, that's absolutely absurd. I mean, it's almost like now if he loses a match on clay you know, what the hell happened? Like, it's it's not even possible for him to lose a match on clay, right? So we blow it up if he does because it's such a big deal. But I, I don't know, man. At this point, if you were to ask me who my favorite is, I, I wouldn't pick anybody else because there's nobody else that I could put my foot down and say, I this guy's a lock to me to win it. The form Djokovic has been in recently? No. I wouldn't pick him. Dominic Team, he's a guy that a lot of people like to pick. No, I don't think so. He hasn't been playing all that great recently. And say it. Say the other name. <laughs> say the other name on the tip of your tongue. I, look, I, I wasn't even going to go there. The fact that you said it, I mean, Federer is playing Roland Garros <laughs> this year. Look, I, I don't know how he's going to do. He's going to play in Madrid, I think, right? So we'll see how he does there. But at this yeah. at this point, man, I don't know. I, I I'd still probably take Rafa. Yeah, it's again, it's a fool errands to bet against him. Another guy you didn't mention, Alex Zverev, and we're not getting into oh, that. Oh, no, right no, that. no. I know it's been a while, but we don't have to do that right <laughs> now. Yeah, there's no one who's definitively stepped up and climbed the mantle and said, I'm the favorite heading into this right. uh, tournament. But but that's the thing is, Rafa is another one of those guys who hasn't yet, you know, stuck his claim as I'm the best clay court player in the world right now, and no one can touch me. I just think that's an interesting thing to monitor as we have so much clay court, uh, uh, so much of the clay court season moving forward. Agreed. 
You used the word uncomfortable. That's a perfect way to transition to our next match. A guy who has just, you know, he's had some breakthrough results. I think he made the Barcelona semifinal last year, if my memory serves me correctly. I know he's made a 500 semifinal on clay. Denis Shapovalov, the number nine seed, who comes into this match as a Vegas underdog against Christian Guerin, who's obviously coming off of that performance in Houston, who is a former number three junior in the world, uh, won the Junior French Open back in the day, has all of the pedigree on the clay. But people were so high on Shapovalov, and for him to lose this match 7-5-6-2, I don't know. Is it something Shapovalov did wrong? Is it something Guerin did right? Is it a little bit of both for you, Matt? I think you'd have to say it's a little bit of both. And I want to bring up, Jamie and I were talking about this yesterday, some of these matchups that we get in these clay court tournaments, I mean, Garen's obviously a clay quarter, right? And he's going up against a guy that we think of as more of an all-surface type player, Shapovalov. His game can adapt pretty well to any surface. Uh, another match that we're going to hit on here in a little bit, Guido Pella over Karen Hatchinov. Pella is such a clay quarter. So we kind of get some of these matchups where you've got true dirt ballers going up against guys that, you know, may be a little bit more successful on other surfaces. And it makes for interesting matchups. And this was one of those matchups. Garen moves so well on the clay. He's comfortable rallying. He doesn't have to go big early in points. Shapovalov obviously wants to play huge, be aggressive with his serve, his forehand, come forward. And in this matchup, Garen just said, no way, man. It's not going to happen. He played very well, but we got to remember Garen's in really good form. He won Houston a couple weeks back. So, I mean, this guy's on the rise, young Chilean players. So I don't look at this as I mean, a completely unacceptable loss for Denis Shapovalov. Of course, he's going to be disappointed. But at the end of the day, I think he can chalk it up to, hey, I definitely didn't play my best on clay. And I I ran into a, a hot player who just played better than me on this day. No, our friend Philip Fama tweeted out that, oh my gosh, Shapovalov's upset, and a lot of people started giving him crap saying, upset, you know, Garen was the Vegas favorite, and as you mentioned, it's not that weird of a result. People could have seen this coming. Um, yeah, you, you said, you know, Garen is very comfortable on the surface. He doesn't need to pull the trigger on the first ball. That's so true. The way he is comfortable moving the ball, opening up spaces for himself, short angle, just moving you, you know, one step further on his cross-court exchanges each time, opening up more court for himself to change directions. You know, very comfortable playing defensively, slides into shots, doesn't slide re- reactively. The other thing, even though Shapovalov makes 67% of his first serves, he only wins 57% of those points, 48% of his second serve points. Garen goes 4 of 8 on break points compared to Shapovalov's 1 of 3. You know, Garen would hit just a neutral ball return deep in the center yep. or deep to one side of the court. And as you mentioned, Shapovalov's going to slap away. I've said it too many times now, so I'm going to try and phrase it differently there. He's got one switch, and it's offense, and it's bang away. And obviously, when he's playing his best tennis, some of the shot making he does is remarkable. But there's still, there's no second gear, right? There's no, oh, I'm going to have to play a little bit defensively today. I'm going to have to wait for my opportunities. That's not him. Yeah. At least right now. Yeah, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. He goes big or he goes home. And, you know, in this match, he's 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 going home. So, you know, he kind of lives and dies by that aggressive game. And, you know, it works for him well. Obviously, he's a top player in the world. You know, you know we can't knock his game too much. But, yeah, you said it all about Garen, man. I mean, he just – his ability to neutralize uh, on the clay is why he's so good on that surface. 
And for Christian Guerin, we can wrap up these match thoughts here. On the live rankings right now, he's at a career high, number 45. As I mentioned, this is not a guy who's very old. He's 22 and nine, uh, 22.9, so probably 22 and like 10, 11 months on the precipice of 23 for the record. That's younger than me, so he definitely qualifies as next gen. <laughs> Yep, I, I have his birthday, May 30th, 1996. Thank you, Wikipedia. But you look at his track record. This is a guy who's played three main draws of Grand Slams. He played Wimbledon twice, 2017-2018, and Australian Open this year, uh, and he lost first round in each occasion. Given the success we've seen from him on the clay thus far this year, given the openness, it feels like, of the ATP draw in that you could make a case for... 75 guys making the third round of the French Open. For Christian Guerin, is it fair for him to set his expectations of, I think I if the draw breaks right, I can make the second week of the French Open? Yeah. I mean, why not, right? It, it, it's going to depend on what, what kind of section he gets into, like you mentioned. I mean, what seeds are in there? Does he have other clay court you know, specialists in his section, or is he going to run into some guys who are more comfortable on the hard courts and don't really like the clay? So yeah, I think if, if the draw breaks right for him, he's definitely in good enough form. I think he's going to be confident with his results from these past few weeks, and you know, there's still some more tournaments to be played before Roland Garros as well, so... Yeah, I, it wouldn't shock me, I mean, come a month from now, if we see him in the second week. Yeah, that's a testament to his form and how well he's been playing. One last fun fact for you on Garen. when join, By winning this match, he joins fellow countryman Nicolas Jerry, another young Chilean player, making it the first time since Houston... Th- 2010 that two Chileans made an ATP tour level round of 16 in the same tournament the last time it happened Fernando Gonzalez who I affectionately of course called Gonzo and uh, Nicola Masu did it I just love the contrast in their two styles you know Jerry's a a big ball. He's going after that forehand at all times. He's hitting big. That's why he was able to beat Alex Zverev because he just kept going for his shots when Zverev would play passively. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a fan of Chilean tennis, great contrast in styles for you. Yeah, definitely. And those two guys that you mentioned from back in the day, Gonzalez and Masu, oh man, I used to love watching them play. They they were they were great. So to see a couple of guys from that same country, you know, making their mark now is is pretty exciting as well. Gonzo! God, that guy oh. could smack a forehand, couldn't he? <laughs> One of the best Jesus. moments in ATP history, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again, when he hits the ball at Roddick stepping it, <laughs> it's just like, that's that's what I want my tennis to that be. That guy was um, must-see TV. Absolutely. Well, speaking of must-see TV, let's get to today's upsets. A lot of upsets on the ground today. Let's start with the shocking one. You mentioned it earlier. Guido Pea knocks out number six seed Karen Kiachnov, 6-2-7-6 for Kiachnov. He loses his seventh first-round match of the year. I mean, just... he. He just can't. It's a confidence thing. He's switching rackets. I know Pea is is in excellent form, but it's just you worry for Karen. You know, is he? It's it's the Paris Masters hangover. Ah, uh, get out of here with that, you and Jamie. <laughs> uh, n- no, I. It is. It's disappointing, man. I mean, just the inconsistencies. You know that he's had this year because. I mean, heading into 2019, you know, we thought that this was a guy maybe that was going to break into the top 15, top 10 in the world. Um, and he just hasn't, he hasn't played up to his standard that we've seen him, 
uh, in the past. So hopefully he can get it corrected. Right now it's not looking great. I don't think Clay is really the surface that he can have the most success on. So we'll see where it goes from here, man. But yeah, he's got a little he's got a little bit to figure out. Pretty sure he made third or fourth round of the French Open last year. Yeah, he can do it. Well, physically, three out of five guys are monster. Right, exactly. I mean, he can do it. It's just, you know, with his style, he loves to rip the serve, hit big groundies and stuff. I mean, I think he'd prefer a hard court. He's had more success, I think, overall on hard courts. He's won a couple of hard court events. But, yeah, he can definitely play on the clay. He's just going to have to somehow flip the switch and, and get his game under him. Yeah, completely agree. Well, let's move on to our next upset, and this will lead us to our first tangent of the day. So, Westoff, if you could, give me some sort of tangent sound effect. So Mackie McDonald today knocks off number 11 seed Jill Simone. That Jill Simone is still the another number 11 seed speaks to sort of the turmoil and just the, the, not the turmoil, but I suppose the changing of the guards that he found an opening to be the 11 seed at a tournament like this. Crazy, but nevertheless, Mackie becomes the first U.S. man into a Barcelona third round since 1999 when both Todd Martin and Vincent Spadia did it. Considering Mackey lost in the first round of four challengers last year, I think Savannah, Bordeaux, Sarasota, and maybe Tallahassee, uh, it's a stat I mentioned earlier in the week, to see him have this sort of success, really impressive. But it led me to thinking, Matt, you know, I want to send out a Twitter poll on this topic because I have watched a lot of challenger clay tennis, I've watched a lot of ATP 500, 250, seen all these guys on the surface. My question to you before we get into this Mackey McDonald match and I, and I post it on Twitter. The American male with the best movement on clay is? Uh, what, whatever I answered that, and I can't remember how you phrased it, but that's the— So the, the options I gave were Tommy Paul, Tennis Sandgren, that statement is an oxymoron, meaning no American male is good moving on clay, or someone other, and people have suggested Tiafo. In fact, I think Martin Collins selected uh, Mackey and— uh, you know, beyond this result, I was, you know, I want to see the sample size, but where are your thoughts? So I answered that that question is an oxymoron, but, <laughs> but I don't know. That's such a tough question. Cause it's, it's really kind of hard to say, right? I mean, I don't think it's Francis. I, I don't think on clay that he moves well, real quick. I, let's eliminate the obvious. Isner? No. Right. Opelka? No. Fritz? No. Absolutely not. Nope. Um, Sam Query, not nope. bad, not bad, not but, bad, but no, I, it's hard, man. I think, I think Mackie might be a decent choice, but you could also group him in with like a Tommy Paul or a Noah Rubin or, you know, some other guys like that. I don't know if we could just say that there's a clear cut choice to that question. Max Rothman suggested Stevie Johnson, who, given his success he's had in Houston, yeah, he can move a little bit. You know, he's a great mover, just a great athlete overall. But having watched both uh, Tommy Paul and Tennis Sandgren all last week in Sarasota, Sandgren's a guy who's had clay success before. Same thing with Tommy, obviously junior French Open champion. And now that he's healthy, 
I mean, those guys are special. I said this earlier. They slide into shots, right? They're not reacting. They they didn't get there off-footed and then have to slide to save themselves. They are purposefully sliding into their shots. They have their backswings correlate with the, their timing. I mean, those guys just, in my opinion, do it a little bit differently. And I think the success Tommy's had, he won so comfortably today. And we'll get to that in a little bit. I just think if he can stay healthy, he's a natural. Yeah, oh, I definitely think he's a natural on clay. I mean, going back to the juniors, he's always been very comfortable on clay. It's just for me, I I just think to me there's no clear-cut choice that I can just say this guy is by far the best mover, you know, as an American clay court player. I just can't do it. I would I would lump multiple guys in there together, like you mentioned a Sandgren or a Stevie Johnson, Mackie McDonald, to me, that's just the that's the upper echelon of movers for Americans on clay. Yeah, and that's why it was a fun Twitter poll. I should say, fifty five people have voted so far. Thirty three percent Tommy Paul, sixteen percent Tennis Sandgren, forty percent that's an oxymoron. Eleven percent other comment with name. Uh, so right now, the oxymoron category is leading, but it's early. All I'm saying is, I get it. Americans aren't the best on the dirt, and that Mackie McDonald set of no one making a Barcelona third round since '99 speaks to that. But there is a generation of movers up and coming. Sample size is small, but they look more comfortable on the surface, and it's just something to monitor. Um, but let's get into some of these other matches. In terms of the other upsets, two more. Benoit Paire knocks out Carino Busta, 6-4, 6-7, 6-1. David Ferrer knocks out number 15 seed Luca Pui, 6-3, 6-1. You know, Pui made the Australian Open semifinals, but is 0-9 in all other matches in 2019. I mean, you expect Pair to do the funky sh- on the clay, but, I mean, for Pui, just guy cannot buy two wins in a row other than the Australian Open I guess yeah he's had a rough year to say the least I mean he just he hasn't been very good I I don't know what's up with him either it's like these guys you know that were used to making deep runs in tournaments are just not they're not getting it done this year it's it's a little weird but I don't know man I mean because that's another guy that you know I, I would say moves pretty well he could definitely have some success on the clay Luca Pui but I don't know, man. He's struggling. Yeah. Well, then let's breeze through these other results real quickly. Daniil Medvedev holds off Albert Ramos Vanola, 6-3-2-6-6-1. Grigor Dimitrov knocks out Verdasco in a three-set thriller, 6-2-6-7-6-3. Number 16 seed Felix Ogier and that's hilarious, knocks off Malik Jaziri, 6-3-7-6. Lucky loser Roberto Carbea-Spena knocks off wildcard and young German player Nikola Kuhn, 6-7-6-4-6-2. And that leads us in to a blockbuster round of matches tomorrow. Matt, there are a ton of matchups we can talk about, and we don't have to do deep dives into all of them, but just let's start here. The bottom of the draw has opened up in a fascinating way uh, here in Barcelona. You look at the players left on that side, number four seed Nishikori, number seven seed Medvedev, 13 seed Dimitrov, 16 seed FAA, McDonald, Jerry, Garin, Carbea, Spania. Your favorite to advance to the final out of this bunch, Matt, and I think I know the answer, but I'm just waiting for you to say it. Okay. I'm not sure if you know my answer. You might. Uh, let me know once I tell you. But this is an interesting section for sure. There's a lot of guys that could come out of here. Uh, but I'm going to go with Daniil Medvedev. 
So I thought you were going to say Nishikori for sure. No. I was just I, waiting. I, I think it could be Nishikori. I think – I'm just not quite sold on him yet. He has won Barcelona a couple times. I think he's very comfortable at this tournament. He could definitely do it. But he has a tough match with FAA. I mean, let's see if he gets through that one. You know, I'm not saying that that's, that's a lot by any means. So – just for me, Daniil Medvedev has been in really good form all year. I know he had the hiccup last week in Monte Carlo. He was up big and, you know, lost it or whatever. He he got tired. But the form that he's been in throughout this year, he's been awesome. I think he leads the tour in match wins on the men's side. So, I, it for me, it's hard to pick against him. If he just keeps playing at, at the level that he's been playing at, that would probably be my guy to get out of that bottom half. The best part of that bottom half is, and I say this lovingly, if Carbeas Benia makes the final, that's the only way I'm disappointed. Any of the other guys, I think, let's say Rafa regains health. Either way, one of those first seven, you know, Nishikori, Medvedev, Dimitrov, FAA, McDonald, Jerry, Garen, make the final, you will have a happy Alex. But you mentioned that FAA Nishikori match tomorrow. That's their first career matchup. A tasty Dominic team, number three seed versus Jaume Munar. Teams 1-0 and against them. They played in Barcelona last year, which team won 6-1. and Medvedev takes on Mackie McDonald. Jerry against Dimitrov. And then Nadal against Ferrer. Obviously, we've seen that matchup a million times. And <laughs> neither guy's at their physical prime, but... It'll be interesting to watch, nonetheless. Uh, Struf, Tsitsipas, Garen, Carbe, Espana, pair, pair of the rest of your matches. Matt, if you can only watch one, which one are you watching? Oh, FAA Nishikori, for sure. I just, <laughs> no question. I, no question, man, because it, to me, FAA is, is also must-see tennis. I mean, whenever he's on, I really want to tune in, and especially going up against a guy like Nishikori, who has had major success at this tournament. He's won it twice recently within the past few years, I think. Uh, I just, I think it makes for a really interesting matchup and they've never played before. So, you know, I don't really know what to expect. Let's see, man. For me, if I could only pick one, I'm going with that one. You know, FAA was great today, and I know we didn't talk about him, but that's not because he didn't deserve it. Just the way he protects his serve, is able to dictate on the clay, uh, the way he's able to hit shots off balance, really so impressive from the young player. Yeah, that's a great match. The way Jerry's going to be able to go after Dimitrov's one-handed backhand with his huge forehand and serve is going to be very interesting to me. I mean, if he can dictate and play aggressively, close the net against Dimitrov the way he did against Zverev, that's just going to be a fun match with a lot of shot making. Moonar team could be a grind. Both guys could be 30 feet behind the baseline, and I will love every second of it. <laughs> but give me that Mackie Medvedev match. I just think... You know, Medvedev's not going to hit you off the court, and the one thing Mackie's susceptible to, he's a little bit smaller, he can be overpowered, and it's not that Medvedev can't crank it up, because he can, but it's just going to be fun to watch Mackie counterpunch, he's going to get a lot of cracks at a lot of balls, you know, Medvedev's going to be the steadier of the two, so Mackie's going to get to be the aggressor, a little bit of an upset alert, I mean, Medvedev probably wins, but I could see Mackie taking it, that's why that's my favorite match of the side. Yeah, that's a good call, man. I mean, for me, really, all of these matchups are, are pretty juicy. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to watch them all if I could. I probably won't be able to, but, I mean, I'm looking down the line here. There's really not a single match that I wouldn't be interested in. Maybe the Garen uh, Carballis Baena would be my least favorite choice, but, I mean, other than that, there's some tasty ones tomorrow, man. It's going to be a good day. 
and I look forward to discussing them all with Max Rothman on Friday's mini-break podcast. But okay, since there wasn't that much interesting action in Budapest, let's move on to the ATP Challenger side. Uh, as we've mentioned earlier in the week, the USTA wildcard challenge for the 2019 French Open is well underway. The guys this week are in Tallahassee, the women in Charlottesville. We're just going to be talking about the guys today because there were some fun matchups, and we don't have to keep this section too long. If you, as a listener, want to go check out the replay, livestream.com backslash ATP, or check out the USTA Pro Circuit stream, our man Mike Cajun doing a killer job, as always, with the play-by-play on the stadium court, so go check that out. Uh, one of the matches I want to talk about, just because I was really hoping this was going to be a little bit closer, number five seed Noah Rubin just handles Tyson Kwiatkowski with ease today, 6-1-6-2. And it was really a rough day for Virginia players overall. You look at some of the other guys in the draw. You know, Alex Richard lost in the second round yesterday to Jordi Arcanada. Colin Altamirano goes down in three sets today to number 16 seed Nino Sardarovsk. Sudarusik, Sudarusik. I'm sorry that I butchered that so badly, but Westoff, leave it in. Six three two six seven six. JC Aragoni lost his uh, first match as a seeded player, but second round match as well. And it's just, you know, I saw Mikhail Torpegard play on this surface as well. Some of these college guys are just not the most natural movers on clay, and I think that's what really stood out in the Ruben Kwiatkowski match. Getting back to it. Yeah, for me, this was an interesting result, man. I just, I wouldn't have seen this matchup going that lopsided. Um, but you look at, at the serve points, it just looks like Ty couldn't get anything going with the serve at all. And, you know, I don't know if Ruben was really just returning that well or, or Ty's serve was just completely off, but he couldn't make any inroads with his serve. And, you know, he just couldn't get in a rhythm today. That was the theme of the match. And, you know, I made sure to watch these highlights and it's nice that we're recording late because I got the chance to do so. Yeah, there's just it, too many slices from Ty, too much on the stretch. Uh, I mean, Ruben dictated. He was the more comfortable player. I mean, he won this wild card challenge last year. He's the defending Tallahassee challenger champion, yeah. so there's a reason he's more comfortable. But I just thought the level of experience on clay was exposed. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. And, I mean, you look, 4 of 6 break points for Ruben, 0 for 4 for Ty. I mean, that's what you're going to get, man. I mean, you capitalize on your chances for Ruben. He did. Well done. Ty, not so much. You go down one and two. That's that's how it goes. Right, well said. Well, then let's move on to our next match. Uh, number nine seed Tommy Paul knocks out Martin Cuevas, 6-1, uh, 6-4. For Tommy coming off of a Sarasota title, coming off of so many injuries, to get a win like this the second week in a row he's playing an event, you know, that's tough when on your body when you're coming back. He was just so dominant today, and this is part of the reason I wanted to do the mover topic is because when I just watch him, this is a guy who win healthy, he's done with the challenger tour. Yeah, well, he's starting to feel it now. I mean, you mentioned the Sarasota uh title. He's He's starting to feel it, man, and it's exciting because, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, we've been excited about as, you know, a, a young American that can do some damage, like you said. So hopefully he can keep this run going. He can keep playing well, get that ranking up there, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, he's going to be able to get into some events. But like I said earlier, Tommy's always been good on the clay, even going back to juniors. I remember when he was real young, he he always had success on the clay. He does move well, and his game style is just perfect for the surface. So, you know, it's not surprising to me to see him having these results. It's just, 
it's great because you mentioned he's had all the injuries and he's coming back. So hopefully he can just continue this success. I'm I'm going to be rooting for him. Here's what I like most about what I've seen. For a guy with a quad injury, you know, he only makes 55% of his first serves, but he wins 82% of those points, 50% of the second serve points. He is snapping his serve off like I have never seen. The slice out wide on the deuce. He can hit the kick out wide on the ad. He can hit the slice on the ad. He's just getting himself opportunities to dictate, and he he's not slapping as much. You know, he's not going for ridiculous winners, ridiculous cross-court drives. Yep. He's just slowly, as we mentioned, opening up spaces for himself he's cutting balls off early he's tracking extra balls down he's hitting his passing shots well when he hits good serves that create great angle he serves in volleys because it's that much harder to recover uh on the clay so if you can take time away it's gold i'm just i've been so impressed all i pray you know stay healthy tommy because i think he's just looked that good yeah i i echo i echo those sentiments (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. That's why I like having you on. It's always good to have a yes, man. Um, But with that, let's move into some of our other results, and we can go through these real quick. Uh, In terms of the upsets, Andrea Colarini, who was a semifinal last week, knocks out number one seed Paolo Lorenzi, 6-2, 6-7, 6-4. Sandro Irat takes out Guillermo Clizar, 6-7, 7-5, God, shout out to Mike Cajun, because I am just butchering these pronunciations uh tennis Sanger knocks out stefan kozlov 6-3-6-2 my feelings are hurt mitchell kruger comes back from a set in 2-4 30 40 down uh, to win his match against johannes haritis 3-6-6-4-6-1 karlovsky the number 12 seed over barrios vera 6-3-1-6-6-3 and as i mentioned sirdaris against altamirano leave it all in 6-3-2-6-7-6 I mean, we don't even have to talk about the quarterfinals moving forward, but I guess I haven't asked you this, Matt. I know points-wise, you know, Tommy with a challenger title, Sandgren with a final, they're the two favorites. But is there anyone else on this list you could see making a run to that French Open wildcard? Well, how about Ruben, right? The defending sure. the defending champ. I mean, let's see how he does the rest of this tournament. That's a guy who's done it before, so he kind of knows what he's getting into here within this stretch of tournaments I think he could do it if he continues to play well. Um, but like you mentioned, I mean, my guy right now that I that I really want to see get it done is Tommy Paul, TP, man. If he can do it, that, that would be my choice for who I'd like to see win it. There's 100% a world where Tommy wins this wildcard challenge, wins, you know, a round in the French Open main draw and finds himself in the top 80 by the end of the year. Yeah. Like I, I, I know that scenario exists. Yeah, I mean that'd be crazy. Let's let's see if yeah, he can do it. God man. willing. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree with you. Well, then, one, last result we'll talk about in Leon, Mexico, another challenger where there were a bunch of Americans in play. All nine have already lost. Two Redlickies, Kasu, Eubanks, uh, who is a three seed, Donald Young, the ten seed, both Kings, Evan and Kevin. Uh, Ernesto Escobedo lost a first-round match to Skander Mansouri. And I know we're college tennis fans here, but that loss for Ernesto kind of broke me a little bit. That one <laughs> And then, yeah, and then Sir Alex Sarkeesian, the former Pepperdine standout, loses as well. Rough tournament for the Americans down there, but overall just – a ton of fun tennis to watch this weekend. Yeah, always, man. It keeps going. That's a great thing. We got college. We got the pros. We got, you know, ATP, Challenger Tour, all that good stuff. It's so much. I mean, there's only so much time in the day, right? How can we even watch it all? 
Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Well, the way we watch it all is you say, I can't watch. I want to watch the NHL hockey game. <laughs> and I say, oh, yeah, sure, this one's on you. It's your fault we're delaying this recording when in reality I'm scrapping to watch the other highlights. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well then, uh, and I do want to say, you know, you mentioned all the tennis. For any of our listeners, if you've missed any of the action, you want to read Matt's incredible work on our website, CrackedRackets.com, where we keep you up to date with all things going on in the tennis world. If you need more instant responses, check out our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at CrackedRackets as the username, so I promise you, you'll enjoy those tweets. Dalton gets a little corny sometimes, but Jamie often takes over control, and that's when the Cracked Rackets account gets funny, so be on the lookout for that stuff you know the deal with the podcast this one great shot podcast cracked interviews what the deuce podcast like rate subscribe review share with your friends we've had so much great content going on there of course we've got tomorrow's mini break episode as well where i'll be talking with max rothman about all the things you should be watching going into the weekend i will also say if you follow tennis twitter which a lot of our listeners do you know the Justin Gimmelstab news uh, was front page of a lot of the conversations that went on today. We did not avoid that topic because we don't want to talk about it. Rather, Max Rothman, my wonderful Great Shot podcast co-host, uh, who you know from LA runs in the paddle ball circles, hears things that I'm and most tennis fans aren't exposed to, uh, has a very interesting perspective on the topic. So we wanted to save that for tomorrow. Uh, but Matt, uh, not to hit you with the heavy stuff at the end, thank you as always for coming on. Any final thoughts? I don't think so, man. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, you got my number. We should do this again soon, man. <laughs> you know where to find me. Oh, absolutely. How about this? Your winner of the Tallahassee Challenger. I got to get you on a funky prediction at the end. Oh, man. I'm going to go. Say oh, it. man. Pick our guy. I. TP, man. Give me Tommy Paul and back-to-back challengers two weeks in a row. Sarasota, then Tallahassee. Boom. He's winning the the Roland Garros wild card. Let's go. Mm. I love it. That's why I love having you on. Well, yes, as you mentioned, I will have you on more often. And, you know, listen to his ep- with listen to Matt's episodes with Jamie. They're great. I should say, actually, before I let you go, you guys talked about this on a Wednesday episode, that you didn't include the Olympics as a must-go-to tennis event is just a complete oversight on your part. I spaced it, man. I forgot. It happens once every four years. I mean, I, you're right. I forgot. I-, I cried when Andy Murray won the gold medal cry i know you did i know you and he wouldn't have won that u.s open without it so it's a must go to you know it's the reason federer is still playing he needs that olympic gold title in singles to just finish off a perfect resume but before we go huge shout out as always to our super producers max fligner daniel westoff who have a of an editing job to do for my wonderful co-host matt stokowiak for our incredible producers max flinger and daniel westoff and from our entire team at cracked rackets i'm your host alex gruskin matt the crack it is always a pleasure what do we tell our fans that's a break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone